We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey guys, want to take a second and talk to you about Bet Online. Bet Online is the fastest, easiest, and safest way to bet on all things sports. With March Madness, the Masters, and MLB opening day right around the corner, Bet Online has all the latest news, scores, and odds to help you win big. The best part? You'll receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Head over to betonline.ag, use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your literal free money. Plus, signing up is a great way to support big screen sports and help out everything this podcast has going on in the future. Again, that's promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word when you sign up at betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Blue Wire. All right, welcome back to Big Screen Sports, the sports movie podcast, brought to you by Blue Wire and presented by BetOnline.ag. I'm your host, Kyle Banduho. It's the final week of Oscars month. We're wrapping it up with an all-time classic. If you grew up in the 40s, we're covering Pride of the Yankees, the 1942 biographical drama about the life of Lou Gehrig. Not a movie many have seen in the year 2020. It's not a movie my guests and I had seen either, but it it was fun to discuss, take a very retrospective look at a movie that happened almost 80 years ago. This one is so old that there's almost none of it on YouTube, so no clips today. Uh, Low, very low production value for me on this one, folks. My apologies had Andrew Rotondi on today's pod. Andrew is part of the extremely successful Bronx Pinstripes website and podcast, a fellow Blue Wire member and a very prominent Yankee brand. We got over our baseball differences to have a good time, breaking down this movie, and we had some Twins Yankees talk during the last 10 minutes or so of the episode that was a good time if you want to hear some actual baseball talk. Speaking of baseball... Tomorrow, a new episode from Phenom to the Farm Drops. That's my interview series uh, in partnership with Baseball America talking to high school signees about their pro ball experiences. Tomorrow, I'm talking to former Nationals organization outfielder J.P. Ramirez. J.P. was a 2008 15th round pick, got a seven-figure signing bonus, and we are talking about all his experiences in pro ball, from affiliated ball to indie ball to the Mexican League. If you are a baseball fan or like hearing you know, stories of professional athletes that are a little off the radar, check it out wherever you get your podcast. If you are enjoying Big Screen Sports and you haven't yet, please subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Leave a five-star rating and if you so wish a review. I'll read out all new reviews at time of recording. Let me know what you think. 
You guys know those ratings are important. They help the podcast grow. Uh, If this is your first episode, go back, check, and see if we've covered any of your favorites or least favorites in the past. All episodes are pretty evergreen. Uh, We've got about a year's worth now. Closing in on 60 episodes, go check some old ones out. You can follow us on Twitter at big underscore screen sport or Instagram at big screen sports pod for for, uh, sports movie content and upcoming episode info. Next week, we're getting away from Oscars month. We're talking Celtic Pride, the opposite of an Oscars winner, with uh, returning guest Brandon Winnard from Bro Bible. But let's get to Pride of the Yankees with Andrew Rotondi. All right, I am joined today. He, my guest is a podcast host and writer for Bronx Pinstripes, a fellow Blue Wire podcast, Andrew Rotondi. Andrew, thank you so much for joining me. How did I do in the last name? You got it. Yeah. Good. Perfect. Rotondi. All so. that, all that off, uh, all that off recording co- uh, practice paid yeah, off. That's right. People don't know all the hard work you put in behind the scenes. That's, I mean, that's my job as a host. Um, before we get into today's movie, the last episode of Oscar Month, uh, tell the folks where they can find you over at Bronx Pinstripes and what uh, what you guys have coming up, especially with spring training starting to get in swing. Man, we've got a lot going on. So Bronx Pinstripes, uh, if you are a Yankees fan listening to this, then maybe you have heard of us and maybe you listened to our show already. And if you do, thank you. But if you're just a baseball fan out there, um, we are a Yankees dedicated just content entity, videos, podcasts, blogs, social media, etc. But um, especially with everything that's happened this offseason in baseball, we... we you know, it's sort of a baseball podcast with a Yankees focus, and I try and we try and be pretty balanced on it. Um, you know, maybe you as a Twins fan, Kyle, w- won't agree with that. But I was uh, gonna say, does it? Do you have any con- like long term concerns about your soul being a Yankees fan? No, I've sort of gotten over any of that at this point. Um, the '90s were very good to me as a child, so you know, the 2000s less so, even though the Yankees are still the most hated team in baseball up until this offseason. Now the Astros took that over. Thanks very much, Houston. But uh, yeah, we've got so much going on this this year. We're going to spring training uh, in the middle of March and we're going to be down there. We've got an event going on, a uh, podcast twice a week throughout the entire season. So it's going to be a busy year for us. Hopefully a World Series year. Well, um, I don't know how the Yankees are going to win the World Series when the Twins are going to win the World Series. Uh, if you are, if you are like Andrew, and you are a soulless Yankees fan, by all means, tune into Bronx Pinstripes. You guys produce a lot of content, do a real good job, and you are the you're the perfect guest for this movie. The last episode of Oscars Month uh, is in, I, I suppose, an iconic Yankee movie. We are talking about Pride of the Yankees, the 1942 biographical drama, the tribute to the legendary New York Yankees first baseman Lou Gehrig, who died only a year before its release at age 37 from ALS, which later became known to the public as Lou Gehrig's disease, starred Gary Cooper, Teresa Wright, Walter Brennan, and newcomer Babe Ruth as Babe Ruth. Uh, Got a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes, and for the purpose of Oscar month, this movie got 11 Oscar nominations, but just one win, which is kind of like incredible. Um, it was almost almost what 1917 pulled off this year, actually. Uh, film editor Daniel Mandel won an Oscar uh, for, for Best Editing. It was nominated for Best Actor in a Leading Role for Cooper, Actress in a Leading Role for Wright, Best Art in Interior Decoration, Black and White, which was a category back then, Best Cinematography, Black and White, uh, best, best Effects, Best Music, Best Picture, Best Sound Recording, Best Writing, 
And it well, on, on Wikipedia, it says best writing original story and best writing adapted screenplay. So I'm not exactly sure how that how that works out, but it's it's Wikipedia. Um, I assume the the version you watched was in color, correct? Cause it was. was. Yeah, it was. And I saw that I, I got the Amazon version and I, at the end I saw that it was colorized. So I was like, oh, maybe I would have liked it better if it was in black and white. Yeah, you definitely you have to go into this one. I think because I mean objectively this was a very good movie but it was also made 80 years ago. Uh you definitely have to go in with hey this is an old 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 fashioned movie and you also have to go in that this is much more of a celebration of Lou Gehrig the person than it is the ball player or the Yankee. I think I think is fair to say. I as I was watching it because I knew it you, when we were coordinating this, you wanted to do this in February because of Oscars month. So I know this got a lot of Oscars buzz at the time. And part of me, maybe this is the cynic in me, was wondering, did it just get Oscars buzz because one, it was about Lou Gehrig and his story and it was such an amazing, unique story at the time. And also he just died when this came out. Like, is that a part of the reason why this movie became so popular? Or am I just not able to put myself into the mentality of someone in 1941? Like maybe that's it. <laughs> that's yeah, probably it's, it. Yeah, uh, I, I feel like it's probably the latter because I, there, there are a few things with this movie that I'm feel like, oh yeah, 1942, that was probably great. Uh, it's just not, not as much now. But before we start talking about the movie in particular, a question I ask all my first time guests, Andrew, for you, what makes a good sports movie? So I have long said that. Um, the two sports that I think make the best sports movies are boxing and baseball because it's the ones that the action can be, um, you know, really you can focus on, on sing- singular characters in the action and the emotions that they're going through versus something like football where it's a team sport. The guy's got a helmet on and, you know, frankly, I just rather watch uh, an NFL game than, than a, a movie about uh, football. So I definitely think that when they're centered around baseball and boxing, I enjoy them most. And usually it's about some unique character and, and you know, what's interesting about them. Uh, I, probably my favorite sports franchise movie of all time is the Rocky franchise. I mean, you can't argue with that. Boxing makes great movies. Baseball, you know, for the same reason, the action's a little more easily replicated. I can't argue with that. So for you as a, a sports fan... As a Yankee, is this a Hall of Fame all-star starter or bench warmer? And I'm going to say sports movie with air quotes because not not your typical one. Yeah, I'm sending it to the minors. It's not even a bench warmer. Ooh, that's tough. <laughs> that is a tough look for Pride of the Yankees. I, I tried to get through it a second time. So I watched it the first time, and if I was not doing a podcast about it, I never would have returned to it or really thought about it again. But I tried to watch it a second time just so I'd have some more familiarity with it before we recorded. And I got through about half of it the second time before I, before I finally just gave up because I realized I wasn't paying attention even. It is not made for this era. That's for sure. It is not, it is not held up at, in, the, in the baseball movies we have seen, especially after kind of the renaissance of baseball movies in the 80s. This one is not – it's just not up to par. It's a very good 1940s biography. But well, and I, was I mean, think- this was pre World War Two or pre the end of World War Two. That's how long ago it was. Right. And I, I was thinking about that also, like what's going on in the world at that time and World War Two. America's just entering World War Two. And this movie, while it is a 
it's about a sad figure because Lou Gehrig dies. It's not a sad movie. It's a very happy movie, actually. Yeah, absolutely. Like the tone um, of very, the movie. Yeah, very upbeat. It's probably what audiences needed at that point. Right. The tone of the movie is so jovial. And they make Lou Gehrig out to be just an unbelievable human all around. He never does anything wrong. Potentially it's, the nicest person who ever lived per this movie. To a fault, almost. Like, defends his family and his wife's honor at every turn. Like, the only thing that you could say he possibly is does wrong or isn't good at is fielding first base. And he goes and gets work at that before he gets called up and, and actually put into a game. So it was just, I found that at, you know, angle interesting as well. Cause obviously the movie's not going to ever take shots at Lou Gehrig, but I have to imagine Lou Gehrig, the real person had some character flaws. Yeah. It's especially 17 months after he passed away. They're certainly not going to do anything. I mean, it's clear what this movie is. Um, it's clear what they're trying to do, but if it's back to the minors for you, the Yankees are featured in pop culture pretty often from Seinfeld to TV movies to, to big screen movies. What are your go-to? Like, do you have a top, top Yankee film or Yankee piece of Yankee pop culture? Your, your favorites? Well, the, I think the best specifically Yankees focused movie is 61 and i know you agree cannot argue with that yeah it is excellent it's a great it's a great movie billy crystal who's a diehard yankees fan who actually got an at bat in yankee spring training which i find hilarious that that, like they allowed him to do that Uh, but he he directed that movie and and i think it was great um but it's it's certainly not my favorite baseball movie um but as far as yankee specific um you know, and I'm also not including documentaries because there's just like thousands of documentaries. The Yes Network has a new documentary about some player on the Yankees every 20 minutes. But I, I'd say 61 as as the best story, just because also that the the Maris Mantle thing is one of the uh, the best, I guess, baseball seasons in history. Mm-hmm. And Barry Pepper and Thomas Jane in that movie, the whole cast is is excellent. That amazing so cast, something I cannot wait to to talk about at some point. And uh, Billy Crystal I really cared about getting the facts right of it, which I care about in sports movies. And I think we'll probably talk about it in Pride of the Yankees. They just kind of made facts up, which I got pissed about. I, I get mad about that in sports movies. That's a good, it's a good segue. Perfect segue to some, I, this is a hybrid IMDb and Wikipedia trivia. I, I pulled what I could off IMDb and, and uh, a couple facts off Wikipedia as well. Um, first IMDb fact that I think shows in the movie, uh, in reality, Gary Cooper was decidedly not a fan of baseball and required extensive coaching in order to look even passable on a baseball diamond. In fact, he had never played the game before. Even as a youth, he had never seen a baseball game in person until he was hired for this film. I think passable is a, is a stretch. Um, you you know what else? He's right-handed. Exactly. I, I yes. looked this up because I, I looked it up, and he's right-handed. So every quick cut of him swinging a bat or throwing a baseball looks extremely unnatural. Mm-hmm. It's uh, you can do a lot in hiding quick cuts, and I in you know in 1942, the the standards were different for a, how athletic performance needed to be shown, but it, it's still rough. It is still very clearly rough in the few times where you see him swing a bat 
or uh, or do anything. And it kind of goes into this fact when Samuel Goldwyn began looking for someone to play Lou Gehrig and, and Pride of the Yankees quizzed baseball writers. The Sporting News polled the fans, and their pick was Cleveland Indians pitcher Johnny Humphreys because of the strong facial resemblance. That guy, I assume, even as a pit- pitcher, had to hit back then. And in, in either league, I assume he would have been much better. Uh, Goodwin considered the candidates, but instead chose a seasoned pro actor, Gary Cooper, for the role. I will say for what he was wanting out of this movie, mm-hmm. since he wasn't making a sports movie, Gary Cooper was not a bad choice in in that regard, in, in the acting regard. Right, because the, the actual sports performance was so far secondary in the movie. It's... I mean, it's you have to watch the movie to see like how little actual baseball action there is, and there's a lot of baseball action of not even Gary Cooper, just <laughs> montages of of guys sliding hard into bases. I found I got I got chuckles out of that because I just feel like every every montage they showed was just guys aggressively sliding into bases and the wide stadium shots that all look the same. Yeah, yeah, and he, I, I mean, I actually think just from resemblance Gary Cooper sort of resembles Lou Gehrig like that's not a bad casting yeah I agree uh I I think from yeah just how he looks his size at least how they make him look on um on Cameron Purr his acting performance uh Eleanor Gehrig as you know Mrs. Lou Gehrig told Luella Parsons that she was thrilled with the performance of Gary Cooper as her husband after seeing the film Mrs. Gehrig said Gary and Lou have the same expressions they have the same type of man Gary studied every picture of Lou's. He had every one of his mannerisms down to a science, and he is so like my husband in the picture that there were times where I felt I couldn't bear it, which is incredibly sad uh, when, you, when, you, when you read or hear that. But that's, you know, that, that, that's a kudos to, to Gary Cooper. Yeah, and I think that probably goes to how respected, not just in baseball, but in American pop culture, Lou Gehrig was, that, that Cooper was going to take the time to emulate those sorts of things about Lou Gehrig and, and study and probably talk to people. I mean, you can only do so much in 1940 or 1941 when they're filming this movie. Like you have to talk to people to find out about that stuff. There's not a, you can't just Google and find watch hours of content of, of a guy to get his mannerisms down. You got to actually talk to people. And that's a lot of pressure to be playing someone who passed away just recently is still very much in the public conscience. So that that's a tough gig to take. Yeah, like it would be like someone playing Kobe Bryant in two years in a movie. I, I timed it out. It would be like if a movie, if a if a drama about Kobe uh, came out next July, which right. would be crazy. And of course, the 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 climate of today's world, everyone would just destroy that movie for for being too soon. But I'm 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 expecting a Kobe movie at some point down the line. Yeah, the only kind of situations that seem to get away with being like real life situations that they have, they seem to have movies cranked out right away is anything that can star Mark Wahlberg. There was <laughs> Patriots Day about the Boston bombing. There was Deepwater Horizon, like definitely both within five to ten years of of when those happened. So yeah, Maki Mak. Everyone in Boston loves him. Yeah, you can't you can't turn him down. Yeah, your boy. Yeah, your boy Maki Mak. Yeah. Uh, Yankees catcher Bill Dickey initially turned down Samuel Golden's offer to play himself in the film, saying it would be awful hard for me to call Gary Cooper Lou, whereupon Golden announced that Dickey would be played by Dana Andrews. Dickey later changed his mind and is part of potentially my favorite like 10-second scene in the movie when he just throws a mean right hook. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I found it interesting that 
Babe Ruth and Bill Dickey were both in this. I wonder if that, if Babe Ruth playing himself had anything to do with uh, Bill Dickey's decision. It might have. I mean, you don't, if Babe's doing it, like if Babe's not too good for it, you're not too good for it if you're Bill Dickey. Bill Dickey is a Hall of Famer, though, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. yeah. His number's retired by the Yankees. He was number eight, so it's retired twice because of Yogi as well. But yeah. This little trivia fact is something that I, I hope you can attest to just before the start of New York Yankee home games as of August 2018. The main scoreboard displays an image of a movie theater marquee with the names of the Yankees and their opponents. Flanking the entrance to the theater are posters for two other attractions, the Babe Ruth story and Pride of the Yankees. Is that, does that check out? Oh, off the top of my head, I don't know if that checks out, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look for it next time I'm in the stadium. See, my problem is usually before first pitch, I'm, I'm not in my seat focused on the scoreboard at that point. I'm looking for some beverages. That's, that's, a, that's the right way to do it, really. <laughs> um, director Sam Wood shot the famous final speech at Yankee Stadium where Gehrig had made it. Soon afterwards, a movie ends with Lou disappearing into darkness behind the dugout. The studio wasn't content with that and wanted to corn up, quote, corn up the ending by adding a final kiss between Gehrig and his wife. Wood told them what I thought and got the, quote, what I, what I thought and got the ending back again, which I think was the right call. I think that Gehrig walking into the darkness behind the dugout was absolutely the right ending. I think it might have been my favorite shot of the film. Yeah, I, I agree. I was, I knew the, the movie was leading up to that speech and I was wondering how they were going to do it, but I think it was perfectly done. Actually, that was probably the best, the thing the movie did best. I agree. Um, last, I got these two facts off Wikipedia, uh, scenes purporting to depict Yankee stadium, Comiskey park and other ballparks were filmed at Wrigley field. Not that Wrigley field, the Wrigley field mm-hmm. in Los Angeles, home of yep. the Los Angeles angels of the old Pacific coast league, a popular venue for baseball movies of the era. And did you ever watch on Saturday mornings, uh, I forget what channel would replay it, but they would replay like 1950s and 60s home run derbies? Yes, and that was, that was included in the, in the fact. I just, oh, okay. I just, yeah, the, uh, I, I remember watching one between Willie Mays and Frank Robinson, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it was always done at that Wrigley Field because they would always do it in the offseason. Really interesting. Really yeah. interesting stuff. So uh, this is, go ahead. I, I don't know if you're going to get to this, but I, it, I, you made me think of it when you said, the last shot of Garrick walking into the dugout. Uh, this is one of the things that pissed me off most. They had the Yankees home dugout on the third base side in the movie, which it's not. It's, oh, I didn't even think about that. It's always been on the first base side. And I just don't know how you mess something like that up, especially when Babe Ruth and Bill Dickey are in your freaking movie. It's clear that they did not. They baseball was very secondary in making this movie. It was what he did. It was not what the movie was about, which is disappointing. It's disappointing because the action is one thing, and I I tried to like think, okay, it's got to be hard to shoot live sports action in that time. So I'm going to give him a pass on that. But you can't just get facts wrong. Simple facts like that. That's those sorts of things piss me off in movies, and they take me out of the movie for a couple minutes. I, I don't blame you, honestly. It's uh that wasn't something that I was looking for specifically. That's why you're the you know good to have a Yankees guy on this podcast to the the little things about about that ballpark, and that's kind of the that's kind of what the stuff I was hoping I would get from you. The the very Yankee specific things or New York specific things in this movie. I have one last fact that I got off Wikipedia, and it's kind of just 
it, it doesn't even really have to do with sports or anything. It's just uh, one of the film's more memorable scenes. Physician Matter factly informs Gehrig of his tragic diagnosis, uh, dismal prognosis, and brief life expectancy. In fact, Mayo Clinic doctors painted an unreal- unrealistically optimistic picture of Gehrig's condition and prospects reportedly at his wife's request. Among other things, he was given a 50-50 chance of keeping me as I am for the foreseeable future and was told that he may need a cane in 10 or 15 years. Deliberate concealment of bad news from patients, particularly when cancer or an incurable degenerative disease was involved, was a relatively common practice at the time, which is horrifying. (laughs) Yeah, but... Weird times, man. Exactly. The 40s. It's it's, uh, it's one of those things that does... This is one of my least favorite things on the internet, oh, that didn't age well. But some things, I guess, from the 40s didn't age well. There's another quote in this movie that really does not age well. I don't know if you want me to bring it up now or later. And I, I was curious if you also made note of this quote. Which, which one? So it's when Garrick and his wife are uh, you know, playful, playfully wrestling around on the beach. And then the, uh, the manager guy comes up and goes, oh, Lou Garrick. Hold on. Where is it? I, gotta, um, I just lost it. Uh, how I beat my wife by Lou Gehrig was was what he said to him. I don't think they'd uh, they'd keep that line in the movie nowadays. No, that I think gets that cut. one would probably end up the cutting room floor. Definitely, and and I I paused the movie and made a note of that. I was like, oh boy, yeah, that's tough. That, that's real tough. Uh, let's go into best scene. Um, the, there's not a ton. I mean, there's a lot of lot of scenes, but it's all. There's nothing that I'm really like, and again, this is probably one I'm never going to watch again, but there wasn't a whole lot of, you know, oh, this is super rewatchable. I I definitely want to see this again. Uh, I liked when Lou jumped over the table to beat that guy's (laughs) ass for for messing with him, though. That's the only time you ever see him with any sort of aggression whatsoever about anything the whole movie. Yeah, because his college frat bros were making fun of him for... Um, I guess dancing with a woman and practicing dancing and they were making fun of his shyness. But then at the same time, they were also like, you need to use your talents. You're such a good athlete. So it's kind of like a weird, weird, uh, weird thing, weird vibes that you're getting from those clearly 40 year old actors playing 18 year old kids. Yeah, that's Um, that's one thing I got for for later. There's uh, a very old group of men. So I put so I put I put something for best scene and also scene that I got like the biggest laugh of that wasn't intentional. So best scene I put just the final scene, the the speech I thought because like I think I said yeah, earlier, I think that's clearly the best scene for sure. That's that's the best scene. It was it's the most tastefully done and just for the powerful moment that it was really really excellent. People all say that I've had a bad break. But today Today, I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. But do you remember after they won the World Series and they're all on the train ride home, and the where the way that all the players are celebrating is literally beating each other up and ripping each other's clothes off? It was the most manly man thing <laughs> that they could think of. It's like, oh, how do I prove that I'm a man? I know. I need to tear my buddy's shirt off and punch him in the arm a few times. Uh, hilarious. There's a couple other notables that are just like his first game because you get the Wally Pitt mention. That's not really how it happened, but you at least like yeah, at least Wally Pitt facts, gets his due in the movie. again. 
facts again. And that wasn't even Wally Pipp's real injury. It's tough. It's tough. But at least, like, at least Wally Pipp got mentioned. Not many, they don't really dive into many Yankees. You get, you don't even get Bill Dickey's name. You just get his name on the locker, which is why you know that it's him knocking that guy who was talking shit about Lou, which might be my favorite moment of the movie. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I yeah, because, uh, yeah, I don't know. I thought I did think it was going to be more baseball, but thinking about the story at the time, I guess I understand the decision to make it just about his life. But but like then what 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 are you telling about his life? Because you're just painting a perfect picture of this man's life. The only thing where they even give any kind of semblance about what Lou meant to, because it, it's called Pride of the Yankees, but the only time you really get a sense of the player he was and kind of what he actually accomplished on field and meant to the franchise was the when they show the mini montage of all the trophies getting added to his stand and then the photo album montage showing time passing where it shows that Lou was named Captain. And I, I think the title is Pride of the Yankees because he was such a good dude i guess like but it doesn't show a whole lot of what he actually accomplished on field and what he meant to new york besides the just showing hey he's he's a really likable guy yeah and they they have a brief scene of if i think it's a his a dinner scene in which his parents are eating dinner with him and they talk about him about to play in his 2000th consecutive game it's like, oh, how'd we get here? Right, but so that's a mention of of the Iron Horse streak, but that's really the only mention of it, and uh, and a a joking, um, a joke towards the beginning of the movie when he first gets in uh, to his first game, saying, "Oh, I think I'm going to be here for a long time" or something. I forget the exact quote, but something along those lines. The little wink, wink gag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's um let's take a quick break, hear from our sponsors, and get back to the most and least authentic sports-centric parts of the movie. Hey guys, not a long sponsor break today. Uh, just want to remind you that I have an episode from Phenom to the Farm, my interview series with Baseball America, dropping tomorrow, uh, talking to former Nationals organization outfielder J.P. Ramirez about his time as a high school signee and his journey through affiliated ball, independent ball, the Mexican League. It's a really interesting conversation. If you are a baseball fan or just a sports fan in general, want to hear about the journey of an 18-year-old guy who went from you know, about to enter college to in a professional baseball uniform in about three days, JP tells a really great story. Uh, it's, a, it's a project I'm really excited about. Episodes coming out every two weeks on Tuesdays. The first episode was with former Braves left-hander Eric O'Flaherty. Uh, so please do go check that out wherever you get your podcast. It is from Phenom to the Farm. And now back to Pride of the Yankees. Okay, let's get back to the, the most and least authentic sports-centric parts in the film. And this is where I've got to really lean on you. You, are, you already mentioned the, the Yankee dugout thing. Did you have anything that was the most authentic to you, especially anything really New York Yankee feeling? Uh, well, no. Not much they, to pick from. They got it all wrong. And the I'd say the most extended baseball scene was after Lou and Babe promise the sick kid at home runs for, before the World Series game. And then you get like an extended shot of 
lose at bats. They show like three or four of his at bats. Is he going to hit the home runs? They show one of Babe Ruth's at bats. They go to the announcer booth where the guys are going back and forth. Like, is, is he going to hit it? Is he not going to hit it? That entire scene is just made up. That never happened. That, that is so, it's so dumb. Like, I don't, I, I get it. It's 1940s were a different time. I'm sure people were like, oh, look at that. There was a different way because the whole inspiration for that scene is Lou having the, the, the conversation with the sick kid in the hospital without reporters around, like doing it out of the goodness of his heart. And there's a way for that to be good without, hey, hit two homers for me. That's just not something that happens. It's not, it's not realistic. Right. And they didn't, and they sort of also borrowed it from, I believe, from the Babe Calls a Shot thing. Yeah. Because Babe did the pick your, you know, you can pick where you want it. Right. He says, pick where you want it, left, center, or right. And then he doesn't let the kid answer. And he says, oh, what was that? Center field? Okay. And he runs off. I actually found that kind of funny that they were alluding to that whole called a shot thing. But that didn't happen against the Cardinals in a World Series game. It happened against Chicago, uh, the Cubs in a World Series game. And um, I believe it was the Cubs anyway. And um, the, uh, the, there was, I read uh, some fact on the Amazon facts that they gave me. And at no point did any of those scenarios happen where Lou Gehrig hits two home runs and Babe Ruth one home run in a World Series game in that sequence. So the whole thing is just made up. It just uh, to quote director Sam Wood when he was talking about corning up that the studio wanted to corn up the ending, they kind of corned up the baseball action. Yeah, which is yeah. which is disappointing. But I I have technically for most authentic, um, besides like Cooper by all accounts captured the incredible person that that Lou Gehrig seemed to have been the very nice guy maybe to a fault. Uh, kind of to the era's credit. The baseball scenes are super mediocre. They wouldn't. They probably wouldn't hold up in the night in a movie in the nineteen sixties or nineteen seventies. Like, think about Bad News Bears. Bad News Bears a hundred times better than this. But in nineteen forty two, I was thinking most people probably hadn't seen an MLB game in person. So seeing uh, that's a, this that's a on good point. seeing this on screen in the you know on the projector or at the theater, whatever whatever the hell people were doing back then was probably like, wow, look at that. They might have filmed that in an actual game. How about that? That looks, gee, that looks swell. <laughs> gee willikers. That's a really good point. Yeah, because, I mean, they just maybe listened to a game on a radio. And that's it. So yeah. in their mind, this is like, oh, yeah, that's baseball. That looks perfect. We need more of that. <laughs> so, so for the time, it was authentic. That's what I think. I mean, maybe... Maybe people who watched baseball went into that movie and walked out and were like, "Oh my, can you believe can you believe this shit that they want us to 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 believe I guess but <laughs> well so it's like was but, it even but it was probably fine was it even authentic in the beginning of the movie where young Lou hits a ball out of the sandlot baseball field, but the pitcher never throws the ball. he never makes contact, and then the ball is clearly shot from a cannon left of camera. And over, don't forget Lou's home run fence. at Columbia that had to have gone 800 feet. <laughs> right, right. To to break that window. Um, 
for least authentic, I mean, there's a lot to pick from. You you mentioned the Yankee specific stuff, but I, I think it's pretty obvious. Like there is a, I, I mention it all the time on this podcast. There's a sliding scale for how good an actor has to look depicting athletes in the old days. But Gary Cooper crossed that line. He was he was not good. And he was also like essentially kind of like a walking how do you do fellow kids meme for the first half of the movie. He's supposed to be like 20 years old. He was in his 40s. Yeah. It, it was tough. Well, I also found like there's one scene of, Lou Gar- of, of Babe Ruth playing catch or warming up for a game. And he even he looks unnatural. Even he looks like he's trying to act like he's playing baseball. I think he was in pretty poor health, too. I mean, that was a very clearly over-the-hill Babe Ruth. Extremely over-the-hill. But he's still the greatest baseball player of all time. He Debatable, but, you know. I get no, I'm saying, mean. like, in, in 1942, <laughs> he's the greatest baseball player of all time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and he didn't even look natural on camera. So I don't know if it's just because... It's like, okay, play baseball, but now I'm acting like I'm trying to play baseball, so it obviously is not going to look right. But swinging into what worked about this movie, Swain, no pun intended, Ruth, besides him trying to look like he's playing baseball on screen, and just his acting, not like the physical acting, but just he's legitimately good on screen. He would have been a content machine in the 1940s. Like, if he would have been around for social media, Ruth would have been the greatest. I mean, he's, he's charismatic as hell. That's why he was the most famous person in America at a time. He's, the, he's one of the best parts about this movie. I yeah, and it was, it was funny. As I was watching it, and they, they obviously, I knew that Babe Ruth was going to come on screen. So I just totally forgot that Babe Ruth plays himself. So I, I, for whatever reason, I just forgot he plays himself in this movie. So I was like, oh, I wonder who, their ca- who they casted to play Babe Ruth. It would have been look- really weird if they cast him to play like <laughs> Bill Dickey or something. No, so I was like, oh, I wonder if the guy's even going to resemble Babe Ruth because I think of like the Sandlot. And the guy they cast to play Babe Ruth doesn't look a damn thing like Babe Ruth. And that Art annoyed LaFleur, me. sports movie, minor character, Hall of Famer. Okay, so then they show the guy who plays Babe Ruth, and for a split second, I'm like, holy crap, that guy really looks like Babe Ruth. Oh, wait, that is Babe Ruth. That had to have been an incredible half second for you. It was. To be like, wow, they nailed this. That was the most amazing part of the movie for a split second. Did you, well, did you have anything else about the movie that that worked for you in your one and a half times of his excruciating viewing? Um, uh, I, I think we already... We already touched on it, but I mean, Gary Cooper, I think was good casting because they didn't really focus on the baseball. Mm-hmm. I, I thought overall he was a uh, good casting for, for the role that they wrote. I, really I guess endearing. I would have just wished, I would have just wished maybe there was a little bit more struggle in his life other than the fact that his mom was overbearing. Yeah. A lot of, a uh, lot of mommy issues with yeah. uh with Lou Gehrig. But yeah, it's it's really endearing. It's it's an excellent performance. You can see the fear in his eyes when he starts deteriorating. I thought that was the best work. Kind of at the end of the movie, you can see him trying to grapple with that. Uh and, and you're right, the fact that they made it not about the baseball. If they had really gone in with the baseball even a little bit more, it would have it, it could have sunk the movie, honestly. You know the scene when he's taking Ellie out for one of their first dates and they go to the carnival? And uh, so that scene, I was like, oh, they're kind of showing a little bit of a flaw where 
he at first they portray it like he's too competitive and he has to do everything like he has to hit the ball a thousand times to get her a thousand dolls and he has to hit the 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 thing that goes up to the bell to ring the bell whatever that power hammer thing is because someone challenged him and then he then in a split second he's like no I don't want to do it because what if I don't what if I can't impress her so I was confused what that scene was trying to say is it that he's too competitive or that he's self-conscious or both well for for a lot of the movie he's very like oh gee shucks am I good at baseball like it's very much you don't see the only time you see any fire in him is when he jumps over the table to try to beat that guy up. Everything yeah. else, it's like it's bordering on kind of comedic. This movie is like teeters on the line of being a comedy a lot of the time, especially like gags with the parents, especially the dad. It really like it could have been it could have leaned a little more into that if it had wanted to. I don't think that would have been the right play. But it does it does kind of teeter on that line. And thanks to Wikipedia research that I did, his dad was also an alcoholic, and they never once mentioned that. Oh yeah, I mean there was nothing. the The thing with the mom was the only the only negative they put on in his life, and even then, that issue the the mommy son the Mrs. Gehrig monster in law issues <laughs> are resolved in two minutes, like yeah. instantly. In the beginning I, you know, of the movie, she that, doesn't that's want That's not realistic at all. In the beginning of the movie, she wants him to be an engineer and not play baseball. And then as soon as she sees him play well once, she's like over that. And then after he gets married, she gets upset because I guess she's jealous. And then that's resolved with just a, a, a nice, simple conversation. Well, let's go into what didn't work because that's something that absolutely did not work. Uh, also, Lou and his mom, I get it different times. Again, this is 1942. Very touchy. Very touchy-feely. <laughs> you mean you didn't like him calling his mom his best girl? Yeah, you know, that's, um again, 1942. I wasn't around. You weren't around. But, whew, that was, uh, it, it's something that at least has an age. I, I know you mentioned earlier that's that's kind of a, you know, it gets old saying something that hasn't aged well, but like that was on screen. I was like, I, I need to be done with this. I need for them to stop like hugging up on each other and him calling her his best girl. Yeah. Well, at least that can just be written off as cute versus some other things that are now problematic. Yeah. What else did you have that didn't work? Uh, I, again, I go back to the facts and like when he finally gets into a game, they obviously didn't get it right because he played in parts of two seasons before he actually replaced Wally Pip. The movie never mentioned that. But then when he runs out for his first at bat, he just like slips on bats and then he gets on base and he gets hit in the head from a second baseman trying to turn a double play. Like they just make him out to be this bumbling idiot. Which... Yeah, it's like was Lou Gehring a do- Gehrig a doofus or was he the greatest first baseman ever? You need to pick one, folks. And I was uh, during the movie, I was about to start researching, hey, did Lou Gehrig actually like trip and fall or have something go wrong in his first game or first season? And I immediately realized no, because we would know about it. It'd be a thing that whole it would be a thing that picture they have of him in the movie. What, what does she call him? Like Tanglefoot or something? Yeah, Tanglefoot. That would be a thing that would be on his Wikipedia. That would that would be known. Why? Right. Why? I don't get it. So I don't know what the movie was going. I feel like the movie, and maybe it's just, again, 
old time movies, 1940s movies just did this, but they were like, okay, we need, we need a two minute gag. So we're going to put that in the movie or we need a five minute dance and singing montage in the middle of the movie. So let's just do that. The speaking of the, the dance, are you talking about the dinner performance scene? Yeah, the dinner performance what scene. What was going, was that where, I mean, I thought intermission was still a thing back then. <laughs> was that when people went to the bathroom? It's like, okay, these people are going to be dancing and singing for a while. Y'all can go do whatever you got to do. That, that to me, I was like, how, how did that make it in the movie? I honestly think because at that time, they were just like, hey, people like singers during, during dinner. And we're going to put this on because we want to appease those people in the movie, even though it has absolutely nothing to do with the movie, like nothing to do with the movie. They don't show the main characters for almost five straight minutes. It's for the guys who brought their best gal to the theater. Exactly. Best gal go to see a baseball movie. She doesn't know what baseball is, but she knows what singing and dancing is. Very Mm -hmm. cliche back in 1942. Very much so. The biggest thing for me that didn't work, we kind of touched on it. Those were the oldest college students ever on camera. Like, that's the joke of the 90s. You know, like old high school students, like, you know, movies like American Pie or anything with Freddie Prince Jr. These dudes were, look 50 and were playing college student. Gary Cooper was 41. And they tried, it was in the trivia, they tried to touch his face up and stuff and make him look younger. But my guy was in his 40s and that was very apparent. Yeah, you know what? But but that sort of thing, I kind of just like say whatever to because I've seen so many old time movies all the way even through like the seventies. Like Animal House, one of the one of the best comedies of all time. I mean, some of the college students in there are clearly forty years old. <laughs> Belushi. Yeah. So I'm kind of just like ah, that that was there's just no young actors to 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 cast. So this is what they did. And also like I think there was an air of college because they were portraying something in the early 1920s at that point right Within i think it was right around it was probably 1919 or 1920 because i think he broke in with the yankees in like 23 okay so it was right around like you said 1919 1920 so that was probably just what they were trying to like portray at that time college was like an air of superiority like all of these guys were in three-piece suits and in a fraternity they were sitting down to a very fancy dinner that i was in a fraternity in college with i never used anything but a paper plate yeah college was keeping these guys out of dying in, tr- in the trenches in europe that's true they World were War one going on through through two wars during this movie it, yes yes we were um, let's get into the Kevin Costner and Freddie Prince Jr. awards for best and worst on-screen athlete. I think uh, I think worst is pretty obvious. Shouts to legendary actor Gary Cooper for for scoring this award, but I think he is absolutely the worst athlete they showed on film. No arguments for me. <laughs> and for best, I mean, you, you mentioned earlier he looked a little awkward, but you can't not say that Babe Ruth was the best on-screen athlete. He's Babe Ruth. Exactly. But also there's no, there's no extended periods of footage to, to even evaluate athlete performance because every sports scene has this sort of fade in, fade out, highlight cut montage vibe to it. It's like, who was the best slider? Yeah, so many good slides. And now that's illegal in baseball. And, you know, guys, man, what are we doing to our game? Can't even slide hard into second base anymore. Break up a double, uh, break up a double play. 
And I love all those slides where like the super sprawling ones where they don't pop up and they like they're sticking their leg out at a really awkward angle. It almost looks broken. They just lay flat on the ground and look up at the umpire. That classic old timey slide. Yeah, clearly just not going to the bag efficiently because they like almost slide past the bag with their foot perpendicular to themselves. So you're actually getting to the bag slower in that slide. Yeah, they probably told Gary Cooper to come. Yeah, hey, Gary, you got to come slide in this bag. He's like, I, I need to do what now? They do what in baseball? <laughs> I also love the jump into a slide, which everyone was doing in that movie. I, someone had to, have, had to have hurt themselves in some way, some extra or something. That, those slides look very painful. That's why they don't do them anymore. Absolutely. The Lenny Harris Pinch Hitter Award for Best Supporting Character. I have a few nominees. Uh, Babe Ruth as Babe Ruth. Teresa Wright as Ellie Gehrig. Walter Brennan as Sam Blake, the reporter, who's also like, he spends the entire movie just gassing up Lou Gehrig, just loves the guy. And then this is a combined one. Ella, I think, Jansen, but maybe it's Jansen, I'm sure. She, and Ludwig Stossel as Mom and Pop Gehrig. I apologize deeply to anyone <laughs> who has those names. Um. Oh uh, yeah, those. I mean, those are the rest of the cast. So you pretty much named pretty everybody. much yeah. It's anyone. Anyone with speaking lines. They kept it pretty. And I guess uh, whoever played the sick kid. Yeah, the young one or the old one. Either the young one was very scary looking. That like the definition of scary looking young <laughs> child. Who if if you ran into them in a dark alley, you'd be horrified. Right. In 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 fifteen years was starring in a Twilight Zone episode. Absolutely. Absolutely. That was 100% their next gig. Uh, I had Babe Ruth, but that's an easy uh, that's an easy call for me. I also liked, you know who I also liked in the movie? And he's probably barely even credited. Do you know the cop that like escorted Lou in to propose to his wife? They, uh, so I had a thing about that. <laughs> he, he does that and he's like, this is Lou Gehrig. He needs to talk to your daughter or whatever. And then she comes downstairs and he's like, all right, I'll leave. Like, you're right. not going to see this through. That's exactly what I was going to say. You've made it this far. You've invited yourself into this home, which I guess you could just do in, in the, in the 1930s as a police officer, everyone just trusts police officers. But yeah, he's like, so he's so goofy. He's such a goofy cop. He's giggling, and then he's like, all right, I'll be gone now. Very favorable view of the police in this movie. There's the guys who pull over uh, Sam as he's taking newlywed Lou to the ball, the ball field, and they're like, oh, we'll, we'll escort you there, Mr. Garrick. Sorry for pulling you over for speeding. Yeah, very pro-American vibes in this movie, too. Do you remember when his Lou's mom said... Proclaimed, this is America. Everyone has an equal chance. You can do anything you want to be. It was like almost a, a slogan from whoever was running for president at that time. Well, they, I'm sure there was a recruiter outside waiting to sign people up leaving this movie. Right. That's true. And mov- movies at that time during World War II, the, people went to the movies to see uh, news footage of what was going on in Europe. Yeah. Oh, so Matt. Yeah. Imagine getting that. You get. Uh, you get like what's going on in the Pacific, and then it's like, all right, here's two hours for you to fall in love with Lou Gehrig and watch him die of ALS. <laughs> what a fun day out in 1942. Uh, my Lenny Harris pick was Teresa Wright as Ellie Gehrig. She. I thought she was very good. She was. Uh, she was very. She wasn't as corny as a lot of, like older actresses are in, in these in these older movies. I, I thought she was fine. I thought she. She was step for step with Gary Cooper, which was probably tough in the 1940s. 
Yeah, and I like the scene. This happened right after the dance and singing montage we talked about, but where Lou was ask, basically asking her to go steady, and uh, she just starts rattling off random baseball players, just joking with him that, like, oh, I've got, like, you must have a girl in every town. I've got a guy on every team. She was good. She was yeah. very good. It was a compelling character. It was, it was a well-written character. I agree. The Big Chill. I've got one nominee. And I think it's the obvious one, the the speech at the end of the movie. So the big chill is is the ch- is a chills moment, right? The chill like, inducing moment. Yeah, I had been. I'm transitioning out of using Roy Hobbs knocking out the lights as the example. It is now Mikey Ruzioni scoring the goal against Russia in in the movie Miracle. That kind of that that moment <laughs> that that makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up. I'm trying to think of something. Like that. What's the second best scene? Because we've mentioned the the speech a couple times as the best scene, and it clearly is. So I'm just trying to think. Like, what's the second most chilling moment? I don't of- think the movie put in enough work to the baseball to even get one like that. You, there's kind of like I guess the bad chills when you find out that Lou Gehrig is dying. Yeah, um, but there's I- nothing. Even the home runs, I wasn't when when Lou hits the second home run for the sick kid. I didn't really, and that was more just the kind of the inauthenticity of it. Right. Yeah. And I, I got, I just pictured the entire time Paul O'Neill or Kramer promising the sick kid in Seinfeld that Paul O'Neill would hit two home runs. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> but uh, I mean, yeah, the stuff, I do think though, the stuff with, with Gary Cooper and I'm um, free, whatever the Ellie, whoever played Ellie, his wife, um, what was her name? Uh, Teresa Wright. Teresa. So Gary Cooper and Teresa Wright, their dynamic was the best in the movie. There is the scene before he goes to Yankee Stadium when they have their their final farewell in the movie, which again was very emotional. I wouldn't say the big chill, but it was very good. Right before he's got to get there for his consecutive games, right? No, no, no. The um, the one before he he makes the speech. It's basically the last time you see them together in the movie oh, when they oh, both oh. kind of acknowledge without saying it that he's dying. Right, because they're like now I have. He's like I have all the time in the world now, and they're kind of just they. Yes, I, yeah, that is a good moment. Mm-hmm. It's a, it, it's a tough scene, but it's. I mean, the the movie is its best in that last ten minutes. It's it's very very good. I yep. would say I w- I wouldn't. I would never rewatch the first hour 50, but the last 10, I'll take it. I, I, will, I will watch that. I should have just fast forward to the last 10 minutes instead of watching the first hour twice. We, we should have just done the podcast around the last 10 minutes, honestly. I think yep. that, that might have been better. Uh, skip the 30 for 30 question because this did occur in real life, and this has <laughs> certainly been a documentary. I want to combine the last two categories, how to improve it and before more or restore uh, would you like to see a prequel, a sequel, or a remake of this movie? I think there's one obvious choice. <laughs> well, I don't know how you could make a prequel, considering they started it when he was a young boy. And uh, spoiler alert, you can't make a sequel about Lou Gehrig. So it has to be a remake. I would love to see a remake. I really would. I would actually... This movie is so... It's so old that it wouldn't be like, oh, they're remaking a, a recent classic. It's like when they remade Point. I can't believe I'm making when they remade Point Break. That was the first thing that <laughs> oh, jumped to my mind. It was the, like, I mean, Point Break is a classic. So it is a yeah. classic. It is a classic. But this one is so old that like, 
this is me. No one alive has much, like, too much, like, invested in this movie emotionally. So you're not really going to offend anyone by making this. This would be a really interesting story. Like, this would be Oscar bait for someone, I feel but like. do enough people care about Lou Gehrig now? How many Yankee fans are there? There's millions. Obviously, Yankees fans would. May, fans would maybe if you tie it with ALS and sort of bring up to speed some modern story about ALS with it, maybe that could work. Maybe that's what they would do. Like what um, you know, Pete Frades and everything that he did uh, over the last decade before he passed away for ALS. You can already see that at the end of this remake there would be kind of a like an uh in the credits a montage of the ice bucket challenge. Yeah. Which would yeah. make which would make guys like me cry. Right. Yeah. And so yeah, if, if for that sense, I guess I could see it uh working. Um if if they do remake it, I want to see Billy Crystal make it. <laughs> I would love that. Well, a way to sell this is let's get to to get more into the baseball like improve it get more into the baseball and involve that more in the plot but let's say hey in 2020 let's watch babe ruth and lou gehrig on the big screen and it's going to look realistic it's going to look good we're going to have 1924 yankee stadium fleshed out that would be awesome the pro i mean that that'd be great baseball porn for me but like the problem with that is there's no conflict. There's no on-field conflict there. Well, now that's fair. That's fair. Like I don't, just, I don't really have a rebuttal. They're just destroying the league, literally. Go look at their stats. Lou Gehrig and Babe Ruth are just owning the league for a decade straight. Lou Gehrig's stats are stupid. They don't make sense. Well, at least you get one game to show what, what they're doing. Instead of you skip the home runs for Sick Kid... And it's like game in the 1927 World Series when they're on the top of their powers and they're like, nothing ever bad is going to happen. Like when they're celebrating after the 1927 World Series and then you do the same flash forward, the same montage of her going through the photo album because I thought that was a really good shot. And then it's like, oh, babe's gone. Lou's old. And then you kind of transition into, you know, make make ALS more of a thing, the, the diagnosis more of a thing than the... What was it? What would you say? Like the last twenty minutes of the movie, probably is when it comes yeah. up. Yeah, you kind of so you probably skip more of you know Columbia and you know younger Lou and kind of kind of get into that, make it more about the end of his life. You could also just so they told the story chronologically, and I feel like that was you know now you get a lot of uh, non chronological movies, so maybe flashbacks or something could work where you're talking about something that applies to him when he's 35 years old because of a flashback scene of when he's 10 years old and hitting a baseball through a window or something like that. Yeah, I would just selfishly want to see this movie for for some realistic 1920s baseball action. I think that would be sick. It's been a very long time since a movie about old-timey baseball came out because there's, there's a certain nostalgia to that, and when that looks good on screen, I mean, that... I mean, I'm the psycho doing a sports movie podcast, so obviously I'd be into that. But it would just be very nice if someone would remake a movie like this or just do something with old-timey baseball. I'd be all in on that. But if they're going to remake an old-time baseball movie, what's it going to be? If they're going to not remake or just make, what's it going to be about? It's going to be about 
something different, I feel. Like maybe DiMaggio's hit streak or maybe Ted Williams hitting uh, hitting 400. A Ted the, Williams biopic would be good centered around that season. And also because he's a son of a bitch and always a was a real son, son of, of a bitch. bitch. Yeah, you can't, you can't make a fawning movie about Ted Williams. So like he had some real conflict with the, the fans of Boston. So like there's a movie there. Um, or like the Black Sox scandal or something like that. Like, again, I just go back to, I kind of get why you don't focus that much on the on-field action because the 1920s Yankees were a juggernaut and there's not really much uh, compelling there other than the fact that they won a lot. I agree. And that's that's the there, big flaw in the rewatchability of this movie is that there, there's not a lot of... There's not a lot of conflict until Lou Gehrig gets sick. I think that's the big downfall of this movie. It's why it's not very rewatchable, but I am extremely appreciative that you you went through the time and suffered through this to, to talk with me on this podcast. Andrew, tell the folks again where they can follow you on social media and what they can expect from Bronx Pinstripes. So you can follow me on social media at Andrew underscore Rotondi. You can follow at Bronx Pinstripes, and we sort of have everything underneath from there, uh, the podcast that I'm on. And we have two other Yankees podcasts as well. So this season, if you're a Yankees fan, you can get a new podcast every day of the week coming from Bronx Pinstripes. Um, And if you're a Yankees fan and you uh, are in the New York area or going to a Yankees game this year, check out our our website, The Fan Shop, we have a few events going on at the stadium this year. Uh, you get uh, a bunch of things in your ticket. In addition to a ticket, you get a free beer, a free hot dog, a pregame party, a t-shirt, all for a very affordable price. So you can check those out, shop.bronxpinstripes.com. Uh, and I think, I think that pretty much covers it. A lot going on this year. Yeah, and of course, you almost forgot the almost 100% happening uh, ALDS sweep, the Yankees sweeping the Twins. It is, it is just like clockwork at this point for me. Can I, do, do you have a few minutes to talk about that? I do, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because, because the Twins had a great season last year, and I was actually kind of pulling for them because Rocco Baldelli, I was a Rocco Baldelli fan because uh, I'm from Rhode Island and, and he's from Rhode Island as well. So it's like kind of, you know, had a little soft spot for the Twins. And every year they just get to the playoffs and just get demolished by the Yankees. It's something like they haven't won a playoff game against the Yankees in, in like 19 games or it's something been, stupid. Um, I believe it's been 13 straight against the Yankees and either 15 or 16 straight playoff losses in total. Um, the most recent of which, obviously, there was this past year's sweep, and then there was the wild card game where what we put we put three runs up, three in, in the, the first in inning, the first inning, and I was like, "This is it. We are gonna take this home." And then Irvin Santana struggles coming out the gate, and we, you know, you, you guys, that that game wasn't even wasn't ended up not even being close. I was at that game. It's the craziest sporting event I've ever been to in my entire life. Yeah, um, uh, Didi, Didi, Didi Gregorius. Yeah, three-run homer to tie it. It was the the game was like an hour and forty-five minutes old, and it was the bottom of the second inning. It was it was nuts. But do you have nightmares about the Yankees? Are you just do you hate them? Are you do you kind of respect them for their dominance over the twins? Are you still hopeful that like, it's going to be our year one of these years? Where are you in your twins versus Yankees fandom? Except I'm not asking it's sarcastically. Kind of, it's kind of a mix of, of respect and obvious disgust. I've always had a lot of ire for the Yankees, but the thing is it wasn't a lot of these playoff losses aside from Oh nine were not against 
really juggernaut Yankee teams or Yankee teams that won the World Series. It was like the Twins were their playoff victims, and then they bowed out, which makes it even worse. Um, it, it is, it's really frustrating. I really thought last year was the year to at least get a win. Uh, Michael Pineda, <laughs> your boy going out and getting suspended that hurt. Um, Byron Buxton, not being healthy that hurt, but this, this twins team is going for it, which is awesome. They've gotten, it's not often where for the twins, where they've had a, a good season and then decidedly getting better in the off season, like bringing in Donaldson, bringing in Rich Hill and Homer Bailey and, and Maeda. Maeda's Maeda, a good yeah, Ma- yeah, the the Maeda trade, like trading a top prospect to improve your team for the next year or two, is that's got to be worth one playoff win in a down division where they're probably hopefully going to be able to cruise to a division title. It's got to be worth one. Just one. It's all I want. Just one playoff win. You can do it in Minnesota. You can do it in New York. You can get it. You can get it in Houston if you want. Just get it somewhere. Just one playoff win. Give me that hope. That's all I need. Wow! Just one playoff win is all you're hoping for. That's, I mean, the Twins last. The Twins last appeared in and won a World Series when I was less than a year old. So it's been and it's been a long time since they won a playoff game. Um, my my personal Twins boogeyman used to be Adam Kennedy who was, uh-huh. if you remember, light-hitting second baseman for the Angels. For the Angels, yep. Who hit three home runs in the 2002 ALCS against the Twins. Like, I mean, he, he was my boogeyman, but now it's just the entirety of the Yankees. Um, starting with Jeter and all the way down. So that's why you like Little Big League. You're a Twins fan. Uh, okay, so, but if you watch them both as adults, Little Big League is the decidedly better movie than Rookie of the Year. What is your favorite kids baseball movie? Even like you can even oh, say the today, Sandlot. the Sandlot. Sandlot. Okay, the Sandlot is the Sandlot is the best, but Little Big League is very much up there. It is very good. It was it was better than Rookie of the Year then. It is certainly better now. I will agree with you. The Sandlot is um, so. We did a March Madness uh, baseball movie bracket a bunch of years ago on Bronx Pinstripes. We did like a bunch of Twitter votes and everything. And it was in the final two, it was Field of Dreams versus the Sandlot. And Field of Dreams won. However, I might argue that the Sandlot, just from like a have fun and rewatch it, might be better than Field of Dreams, even though I, I do love Field of Dreams. Well, the interesting thing about Sandlot and Field of Dreams is those movies are less about on-field action the sandlot a little bit more than even field of dreams but more about nostalgia and emotion yeah and that's why baseball ha- can be baseball. such a good movie yeah because you can have that in in a baseball movie because you know pride of the yankees barely showed any on-field action it I, th- I think should have and could have showed more but you can get away with showing minimal baseball action and still being a baseball movie I agree. I mean, there's it goes to as far as something like Moneyball about the about the front office. Like, I'm very interested to see what the future of baseball. There was a a movie called The Phenom, which was I think two or three, maybe four years ago. Now it was Ethan Hawke, um, and it was it was about the the psychology of this young baseball this young baseball player and his his overbearing father. And it had a very little on field action. It's still a very good movie. Um, do you like Do you like Moneyball? I, I do, I do. The money there's there is a a group of baseball fans that are anti Moneyball because of how much it leaves out. 
Um, and and uh-huh. just inaccuracies, you know, the whole art, how Art Howe felt about Scott Hatterberg, how that really was, them not, you don't see Mulder, Hudson, or Zito at all, um, leaves right. out a lot. But that movie is just so beautifully done and gives me, when Chris Pratt, when when uh, Andy Dwyer cracks the home run to, to win the streak, it, like it gets me every single time. Yeah, I agree. The movie's the movie's great because Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill are great in it, and it was you know, I just find the the topic of sabermetrics. I don't know how much of a sabermetrics um, baseball fan you are, but I I definitely over the past couple of years have really taken an interest in it, and I try and discuss advanced metrics on my podcast, you know, in context of what we're watching on the field. So because of that reason, I find it a really great movie. But yeah, as if I was an Oakland A's fan, I'd be like, dude, you didn't mention Miguel Tejada, Barry Zito, Mark Mulder, Tim Hudson. That's the reason we won the division, not Scott Hatterberg. Yeah, Jermaine Die. I mean, it's they, <laughs> they, they leave out a lot, but it's such a it's such a well done movie. It's one that I'm very much looking for. I, I think later this year is going to be Moneyball Month. Uh, more more oh, on cool. that to come later. But, uh, Andrew, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. Uh, you're always welcome back. We will have to do a better Yankee movie at some point. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode of Big Screen Sports, please remember, subscribe, rate, review. You guys know the drill. Next week, we are coming at you. We are done with, with Oscars month next week. And to celebrate that, we are doing a really bad movie, Celtic Pride, with uh, returning guest Brandon Wennard. Also, if you are a baseball fan, please go check out my interview series from Phenom to the Farm, presented by Baseball America. Uh, new new episode next Tuesday with former Nationals prospect J.P. Ramirez. I will see you then. Thanks. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.